0: some of the things to consider when you're moving to a developing country is security, um, you know, schooling, that sort of thing for your children, safety for the family and and a dog as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe, and I also produce the show. In this series, we talk to women across different industries about a big career or life change they made, how it came about and where it took them next. The idea of packing up your city life and moving to Fiji sounds pretty idyllic, but what's it really like to move to a small Pacific island away from family, friends and work? My guest this week found that out when a hubby was offered a dream job, which would mean relocating to Nandi on the main island of Fiji. The offer came just as they were preparing to settle down in the inner suburbs of Sydney, where they'd bought a house a few months earlier and they're adjusting to life with a one-year-old and a toddler. Kelly and her husband, Andrew, both worked in the travel industry and had spent the past 20 years or so climbing the corporate ladder. In fact, Kelly had just taken on a plum new executive role after returning from mat leave. An overseas move was really the last thing on their mind, and they nearly didn't go. But eventually, Kelly realised this could be a unique opportunity to follow a long-held dream of her own and it ended up being the start of a very exciting new chapter in her career. I sat down with Kelly to find out more about life in Fiji and how she came to launch 300 Islands, a social enterprise that began in her kitchen and will keep her connected to Fiji for many years to come. Here's my chat with Kelly Stanbury. So Kelly, you were pretty determined to get into the travel industry from a young age. What drew you to travel and and what were you hoping to be?
0: Well, when I was younger, I started traveling um, through dancing, competitive dance, and I just always knew from that point that I wanted to get into the industry, whether it was being in cabin crew or um, or whatever came along. And so I did a travel and tourism course and, and leapt right in. Okay. <laughs>
1: and I think didn't you mention to me once that you went knocking on doors you're quite persistent in getting that first job. Yeah,
0: so I keep getting the the normal knockbacks of a 17-year-old wandering the streets and agents in Christchurch, New Zealand and um I finally found this one agent, and I just offered to do some work experience for them because I kept getting told I didn't have enough experience or any experience. So I was quite persistent and kept going back week after week, and eventually after more than a month she said, I, better, I guess I'd better give you a job. <laughs>
1: You kind of spent your 20s then working in travel, living in different places, seeing the world. Yeah, I
0: was quite settled at first. I sort of had a very long-term boyfriend from from the age of 18 and really thought that I would settle in Christchurch forever. Um, But, you know, things take a turn in your mid-20s and I decided to move overseas and came to Australia. And did a bit of hospitality work and things like that, but um, travelling around was just such an exciting thing to do at that point, living in different cities, and I really wanted to assimilate when I came to new places. Um, So I did a bit of hospitality and then ended up um, in the UK. And
1: then I guess you met your now hubby, Mm -hmm. Andrew, when you were about 31?
0: Yes, and he was also <laughs>
1: working in travel. Yes, were you still sort of adventuring around at that time, or had your your focus shifted when it came to work and travel? And those well, sorts after of
0: things? yeah, after a few different moves, I'd lived in uh, like I said, I'd lived in the UK, and then decided when I left the UK to move back to Australia, um, being sort of the biggest um, cities in the Southern Hemisphere, and came to Sydney, um, which has ended up being my full time home. Um, but there was a, a, a situation where my mum. Uh, wasn't very well and I decided to move back to Christchurch for a while and during that time you know the whole time I had been sticking in the travel industry and really wanted to get ahead and and do um, account management and leadership positions and so yeah my mother's illness took me back to Christchurch for a few years and and subsequently met my husband there which was a a
1: nice and
0: unexpected um Pleasure,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and what sort of trajectory had your career taken you? But you were quite ambitious, and you were really loving climbing that corporate ladder.
0: Yeah, I was, and um, you know, but I, you, the travel industry also really offers a great balance of of being able to travel and enjoy life, and a really you know common thread of people that I that I really gelled with, and you know, hence meeting my husband through that industry as well. Um, so I worked really hard, and I wanted to um, progress through through the industry or through companies. Um, But often that was a little bit difficult, you know, especially the move back to Christchurch because I'd gone from, you know, big city Sydney where there was a lot of opportunities and I could, you know, I really had uh, roles handed to me on a platter Mm. to going to Christchurch and really having to take a step backwards again. Um, And so that sort of, you know, that that was probably the beginning of some of my frustrations with my career. Mm. Um, But, you know, eventually managed to sort of, you you know, just coming back to persistence and being really open about what I wanted in my career with the peop- the companies that I was working for, and eventually getting back to where I wanted to be and running running small teams or account management in the South Island. So,
1: yeah. So you ended up back in Sydney. You were getting married. Yes. You yeah. had a couple of kids. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
0: so, so my husband's role, um, was it was quite exciting when he had a couple of different opportunities within an airline to move to a couple of different countries, but we decided Australia was a good option. Um, uh, we ha- I have a stepdaughter as well who was in her teens, and it was a really good opportunity to bring her with us um, and start a new life in Australia. And for me, it was very easy to get a role. I, there was there was about three or four roles that I had the choice of at that point, which was great. And it, was, it felt finally I was able to sort of get back into that big city and get into a good leadership role in a good company.
1: And so you were pretty settled here. But then a moment came in 2015 when Andrew comes home and tells you he's been offered a job in Fiji. Mm-hmm. What was your initial reaction to that piece of news?
0: Well, it was interesting and it was it's it happened slightly differently to that. Um he was already in a, in an a airline that that uh, head office was in Fiji, and um, we had had that conversation before. So I, I probably had what I was was referring to as a bit of a career crisis, um, or a re reassessment while I was on maternity leave. I had two babies in quick succession, which was what I wanted, and but had this real, um, you know, definite internal struggle of career versus family, you know, how do you you make all of that work, you know, having that sort of feeling of um, being held back for different reasons, you know, my own personal reasons in my life. In your introduction, you mentioned that um, about the, you know, I had, after maternity leave, I had actually been offered a great role in an executive um, position in a travel and technology company. So that was really exciting for me. So we'd already had a conversation that that we weren't going to move to Fiji where he knew it was the next logical step in his career if he stuck with that company. But we would decided as a family, as a, as a partnership, that that wasn't something that we wanted to do because it was, you know, not my turn, but it was, you know, I really wanted to keep um, some consistency in my career and get up to those next levels.
1: Mm. Yeah, because I I think a lot of us, you know, maybe as we're approaching or in our 40s, some people are dreaming about that big life change. But it sounds like for you, you were pretty happy with how life was tracking for you at that time. Yeah, with your that's work right. And, and I haven't been afraid to move countries in
0: the past. And I guess for me, I, I wanted to put my roots down. And, and so so did Andrew. And, um, and part of that process that year, you know, with a one year old and a two year old at the time, they were one and two, um, was, you know, house hunting around Sydney, which is not easy, a very stressful, um, thing, whether you're renting or, or buying. Um, but we did find a house in the inner West that we wanted to buy. And so we'd really sort of made those steps and, and decisions to put our roots down finally. You know, we'd been renting in Sydney for years and, We'd never owned a home and lived in it together. So
1: So how did you go from being a flat out no? <laughs> We're not moving the family to Fiji, to maybe we could make it work.
0: <laughs> so when he had the conversation with uh, with his CEO and and turned it down, they said, Well, that's fine, we understand your your position. Well um would you mind doing it in an acting role until we can we'll do a search and we'll see if we can find somebody so he started to do that and he was commuting back and forth to Fiji and 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 that the you know the impact of that on me was basically being a, a single mum from uh, sunday to thursday uh, we'd get him back for you know pretty short weekends and um but whilst he was doing that he was he was loving it and i could see he was loving it and it was um really good to see and he was learning a lot and enjoying the role and and we were making it work but the role got offered again and at that point um you know we just decided that it was a, a, you know why not mm. <laughs> i had a, one, a they were one and three at that point um and it's really started making me think about what i could do when i was there and turning that into an opportunity for me in as growth and for time with my children and we you know we we do live in a really fast city in sydney it's a it's it is a rat race it's great it's a wonderful city but you you know both working it, it really takes its toll on families
1: well, we'll get on to what you did with your time over in Fiji shortly. But, you know, there's a lot of people that do think about a move like this potentially with or without kids. I mean, I guess for people that might be listening who are thinking, what are some of the practical steps that you would need to take to move your whole family to mm-hmm. a country? Had you been to Fiji at all before? Yes, okay. I'd been a lot. And I feel like my
0: connection with Fiji has been over 20 years. Right. Um, okay. uh, being a travel consultant when I was younger, it was one a place that I would go on for mills or learning opportunities oh, okay. um, and and holidays as well from New Zealand it's a very popular destination to escape the cold <laughs> and so
1: close yeah so
0: I do have a connection with Fiji in that sense as well okay um, so yeah
1: what I mean I guess you had to quit your job yes <laughs> I did and look
0: that was hard I I had to give um, quite a long notice period as well being on the executive team um, and I felt you know there was a guilt attached to that because it was a fairly new um, appointment for me um, and I'd really wanted to prove myself um, but I had a very understanding um CEO there and and she, you know, she she got it. Um so and you know, and I helped to fill my position when I left as well. So there was skills attached to that. But you know, some of the practical things when you're moving country, I mean obviously there's the hard slog of packing up a house and trying, you know, and then you know, sorting out real estate when we needed to get tenants in, um, that type of thing, and then finding a somewhere to live on the other side as well. Mm. And the decisions related to that. That we hadn't really understood. We have a we have a family pet dog, for example. You do, <laughs> and Larry was
1: our I guess our first child, <laughs> <laughs> and so you weren't leaving him behind. No,
0: and that was a deal breaker. So that was the first thing before any contracts were signed. We wanted to make <laughs> sure that we could take our dog, um, but one of the one of the catches we hadn't considered is, is where you can live with a dog in Fiji. Okay, and fortunately or unfortunately, there's um, there's a, an, an island called Dinner. Which is pretty much attached to the mainland, but you are not allowed dogs on there, and we hadn't realised that once we'd signed the contract. Right. But it turned out all for the good because a, uh, a savvy real estate agent did find another another place where we could live with a dog. Um, and look, you know, things some of the things to consider when you're moving to a developing country is security, um, you know, schooling that sort of thing for your children, mm. safety for the family, and 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 a dog as well. <laughs>
1: Let's move to you know you you're arriving in Fiji. So you what had been the sort of time frame from when the decision to go came about to when you got on the plane? Uh, it took about four months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You arrive in Fiji. Did the four of you land together?
0: Uh, yes. Andrew came back and flew back with us so that we arrived all together.
1: Do you remember how you felt on that first night in your new home?
0: Yeah. Look, it was a wonderful feeling. And look, there's there's a uh, there's, there's a couple of things well there's one major thing that happened during that four months so we made the decision in december and the family and i moved up in mid-april but in february cyclone winston hit fiji wow okay and so obviously that was uh, really devastating for the country there was more than 220 people who who died during that event um and you know A lot of housing and, and, you know, situations, you know, shops and everything were were really devastated by that. So it was horrific. And obviously one of the impacts of that when your husband is in a global position for that airline in that country is that, you know, they they went into crisis mode. So he was – the pressure on him was absolutely intense. So he was still commuting during that period and when we arrived – you know, two months after it happened, we we were going in and out of Fiji anyway, but um, yeah, it was it was an intense time to to move the family there, uh, and and as one example of the intensity of that, where we were living, because it wasn't on the on the normal tourist. Grid. Um, Andrew had been without power for five weeks where he lives. Yeah. So, us getting there just made him feel a lot better. You know, Mm. the relief of, for him, A, of not having to commute anymore, um, but B, just having us around him. So, I remember the first night we were there, and it sort of makes me feel a bit teary that he, um, you know, we didn't have power working and um, it was intermittent anyway. And we put the kids to bed. They were exhausted. And Andrew and I just went out into the pool and and lay under the stars and, and it was beautiful. It mm. was a really nice moment to be there. Yeah.
1: And you mentioned the kids. So, what kind of? I mean, this was obviously a fairly big adventure for them as well, mm. and I'm sure there were lots of considerations for you with regards to them. What what was that experience like, you know, for them? And what was, did you have any worries about having the kids over there?
0: Oh, look, some of the practical stuff before we left that concerned me a little bit was around, you know, vaccinations. There were there's a lot of extra vaccinations and disease and things like that that um, children are exposed to in Fiji, and we knew that, and we knew, you know, there's you know, things and especially after Cyclone Winston, there was Theka and Zika and lots of um, airborne diseases with dengue and things like that. So we were a little bit concerned about that. But I'm also in, you know, you just roll your arms up and you deal with what you've got to deal with. And we're fortunate enough in Australia that I could get those vaccinations very easily for them. So we did. And, you know, kids are really adaptable. Um, and... They enjoyed being around mum and dad. Again, it was nice to have dad around all the time, even though he was working hard. But they had me and it was great. Um Yeah, so we had a few concerns, but they just loved being there. You know, the, they were meeting a different culture of people and swimming all the time. And the weather was really nice. Mm. So,
1: yeah,
0: it was good for them.
1: And I guess for those who've never been to Nandy, it was Nandy where you were living. Yeah. Can you describe what it looks like what it was like to live there what some of the differences were that you experienced
0: yeah so I guess a lot of people who are listening might have the um, impression of Fiji from from TV or from postcards or or brochures or advertisements um, and it is very much like that it does you know it's a beautiful destination for a holiday and when you live there though and a lot of people do say this that when they get from Nandi Airport and they go through Nandi town or, or or get out um, to any other places around Nandi, that you can really see the stark contrast between um, uh, rich and poor. And it's, um, yeah, it's a developing nation. So, you know, it, it has a very different architecture, if you would even use the word architecture. It's It has um, uh, village style. Life is still really alive and well and, and living strongly in Fiji, which you which you can see. And so that's a wonderful experience to show children who've come out of such a developed nation.
1: Mm. And what about, you know, when it came to making friends? Did you know people over there? Yeah, so
0: um, so you you're sort of put into a situation where there are other like-minded people, like or or people in similar situations, I guess. Um, so a lot of people are up there in, in working for similar companies like the airlines or the banks, or um, or have their own business. Nandi's also quite a tourist town, so you have a lot of Australians and New Zealanders who who are there and run their own tour operators or resorts or, or what have you. So it's um, quite a mix of people in that sense, um, and then obviously the locals as well. So, yeah.
1: Okay. And now for you, you weren't allowed to work while you were living in Fiji and you weren't even allowed to volunteer, is that right?
0: That's right. So
1: Fiji is very protective
0: of of its uh, workforce, which I completely understand. And um, so there is the, yeah, it's very difficult to get work permits. And the expats, you know, there's a process to go through when expats do get appointed into roles to ensure that that they're not taking roles from locals. So I I really admire that. But that obviously, you know, sort of creates a, a pool of people who, who, who are not working and, um, and that's fine. That's, that's quite suitable for some people. I guess for me, I was a little concerned about that for me. I like to be kept busy. But what I wanted to do was, what I did do was sort of sit down and, and think about some of the things I'd been wanting to do over the last few years that hadn't had the chance to do because you're a working, busy mum.
1: And I guess you had been working in some pretty high flying corporate roles. So, mm-hmm. even though that idea, I mean, I think a lot of us love that idea of having three years to not have yeah. to work, but mm-hmm. that must have been quite a big shift for you.
0: Yeah, it was a big shift. And um, look, you know, when I say I like to be kept busy, I'm also quite good at relaxing. I don't mind taking time out and lounging by the <laughs> pool and, and catching up with friends and going on holidays and stuff, of course. Um, but I wanted to have a plan. You know, I knew that I had three years and it was a really exciting opportunity to sort of sit there and go, right, I've got three years I can really think about this and how I want to dissect it Mm. and so when I when I you know just sort of did it uh, you know thought about it internally it was um I knew that it would take about six months for the children to get settled and and that was around you know sussing out whether there was some daycare and getting to know some people and you know and these little things that children um you you think they're going along fine but they could they would become. They could get quite clingy, for example, and I found that quite, quite hard. You know, mm-hmm. normally I was used to walking out the door in the morning, taking them to daycare and picking them up, and you know, you just cherish every little cuddle before and after daycare. Um, but when you're at home with them all the time, I had them clinging to my legs, and and that was all part of their adjustment, though. And so, that's um, that's all part of that. But I knew that first six months would would be spent. On them and 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 Andrew as well, making sure he was comfortable and and able to do his job and able to de-stress and defrag at the end of those really stressful days. So mm.
1: and then what was your plan from that
0: point? So for the past, so when I left school, I did a, a very basic travel and tourism course and got into the career I wanted to get into and and did really well at that. But one of my um, and I don't like the word regrets, but one of the things I Always felt that was missing for me was, was a degree. Um, I wanted to learn more, and, I, and I'd, um, I'd often considered doing an MBA while I was working, and the company I worked for did support that type of thing, um, but I never, it never happened. So I thought, here's the perfect opportunity for me to do this in an environment where I can really sink myself into the study and, and you know, with a genuine thought of actually finding something out of that that might take me on a different journey within my career.
1: Mm. Hmm. And so you enrolled to do an MBA?
0: I did. I did. And look, I um, I did look around at the different options, but an MBA just felt the most suitable for me uh, with the leadership experience I had and they they meet, they tested um, my experience and, and so I got approved for the MBA. And I did it, it was from a school here in Australia, in South Australia, and it was a fast-tracked MBA. So it meant... And I, I sort of took a, I took a, a corporate approach to it, I guess, um, for someone who's living on a remote island. <laughs> I would drop the children off to daycare in the morning and then come home and spend all day doing my study. And um, one of the challenges was being so remote and not being in an office anymore and having those people to talk to, bounce your ideas off, etc., So partway through the MBA, I started um, really utilizing my time and and in the end it helped me to broaden my network. I started interviewing people in relation to the subject I was doing. And um, I chose with the MBA to do entrepreneurial management because throughout my roles in in the corporate travel side of things, I'd always been quite entrepreneurial and launched new tech products or um, or, or modules or things like that. So I really wanted to expand on that a little bit more and see if if I had it in me to start something myself.
1: And you did start something else. So can you tell us a little bit about what uh, your MBA led to? Yes. So so during the
0: MBA, I really wanted to step outside of my comfort zone. And so, sure, some of the subjects I did when it came to, I think, the operational leadership, I, I would use examples from my more than 20 years in the corporate in corporate travel side of things and leadership. Uh, but when it came to the uh, you know a lot of the elective subjects, I really wanted to step outside of my comfort zone and so i started looking you know i was listening i'd been in fiji for a while at this point and i was listening to what was happening around with um in, in agriculture agriculture and tourism are the two sort of key economic drivers in fiji and i really started hearing that there was an abundance of ginger for example but there are lots of things that farmers really struggled to sell their produce and Fiji has a very high quality of produce as well in you know, really good growing conditions for lots of um exciting and exotic um Produce. So, the first thing that started happening was I started making things at home. One of my other goals while I was in Fiji was to get back to basics. And being a developing nation, you kind of need to do that anyway. So, I really wanted to cook more and, but you know, be more sort of you know live the good life where you're creating things from scratch. So, I started making this just. In my kitchen, a, a um, ginger liqueur, mm. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and then you know things evolve when you're studying, <laughs> and I started learning uh, and learning about social enterprise as well, and how you can, and I, I was really taken by that because. You know, there's. The, I believe, you know, and, and and certainly learned that there's a way that you can create business that has multiple wins for everybody involved in the supply chain, and it's okay to be a for profit and do that. Um, so I started learning about that, and it sort of evolved from there. And you know, talking, I I spoke to other entrepreneurs in Fiji who had his success stories and failures and and so that was really interesting and spoke to the um the guy who founded um Von Ubeer for example and so we talked about the ins and outs of alcohol the al- alcohol industry and it, it's very expensive and obviously high barrier to entry and things like that and then started you know also thinking about the social enterprise side of things and really wanted to create a product that that has good, that can can be good for people, good for the economy, good for the community um, and good for you as an individual to take. Mm.
1: Well, I have been lucky enough to taste <laughs> your first product, which is the ginger elixir. Yes. I mean, how did you even know where to begin with making something? I mean, you mentioned you started you know, working on recipes in your kitchen, but that's a big leap to go from that to Producing something at scale. How did you figure that out in a, in yeah, another country? On top of it, <laughs> well,
0: that's right. And you know, starting a business is difficult anywhere. I, I know that, and you keep hearing that from entrepreneurs. But um, Fiji has its additional challenges. It's a remote island in the middle of the Pacific. Um, resources can be hard to 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 procure. But you know, going back to making it in my kitchen, I was you know just making it, and then also, um, you know, through the process of the MBA, testing out different theories. So I would make a product, and 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 t- you know, and operate under a lean startup. Um, methodology so get people to try it give their feedback take that feedback on board what would work and you know so the benefits of starting a business in somewhere like Fiji is that you know everybody you know resort owners you know tour operators you know executives you know um, local uh, retailers you know you get to your your local hairdresser everybody so I would I was testing my product on people at various stages even when it started out as an alcohol and people loved that by the (laughs) way um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course, um, but the yeah, when it came to the health option it, it just really started to fit, and the the feedback that I was getting from the resort owners was hey we would we would actually really like to stock this, you know they we're crying out for local products, um, we love your story, et cetera, et cetera so um, it just really, we i just realized as we were going through that it had legs mm. um, and so the side project sta- started to turn into a business and yeah, and I guess one opportune night, I was at a, a beautiful dinner, probably one of the most magical nights I had in Fiji. Um, Andrew and I were invited to um, uh, a well-known family in Fiji for dinner. Um, it was a it was a business but friendly dinner at their house, um, and it was a wonderful evening. And I was sitting down having um, having a nice wine and talking to one of the women there, and um, telling her what I was doing and um, and she was really interested in it and she was a, – a, and I, in the past I've had business ideas and I've spoken to people before and it's sort of gone nowhere and there's a lot of enthusiasm but then that person doesn't do what they said they were going to do and mm. it sort of fizzles out. But when I met Sateri, uh, Sateri Puama, she um, – she, was very, very interested and liked the, the the intention behind what I was doing. And we'd spoken about a few things and she's, um, she's in, she works in corporate. And I got a message from her the next day and she wanted to meet for coffee and she'd already found out all of the things we needed to know to set oh, this wow. business up. So immediately I just knew I'd found the right business partner.
1: Mm. And, you know, how did you then take steps to find – the farmers you would be working with, I guess there'd be factories
0: involved. Yeah. And so, look, in, initially we, I was doing all this in the kitchen mm. um, and we were just buying from local markets, which was which was fine. And we, we found our great um, – uh, ginger farmer and he was, he had great produce. He, it was cleaned up nicely and really good quality. Um, and we used the young pink, um, ginger, which is the young ginger, which is very juicy and crunchy and, um, full of antioxidants. And so that's what we were doing initially. And then when, you know, jumping forward when we realized that we wanted to do it in quantity I tried to scale up a recipe once in my kitchen and I just timed everything times everything by 10 which is absolutely now that I found out the wrong thing to do because Uh honey has a higher density and that you know these types of things which which a a kitchen mum does not know how to do (laughs) Um, so I made this recipe once and I put way too much honey in it Um, we made 300 batches and it was actually for an entrepreneurs conference we were asked to do samples and gain feedback. So it was a wonderful opportunity and I was like, yes, I can do it. We were given like 10 days' notice. Oh, wow. Um, But I got it done and I love – I love that pressure cooker environment, <laughs> you know. Um, we managed to get some packaging where we had this sort, sort of food, baby food pouches, and we got labeling done for it online. We freelanced that, and and it was really exciting. And we got to this conference, and there were three hundred entrepreneurs there, and they loved it. But they, they kept saying it was a bit too sweet. Oh. But we like we like the concept, <laughs> so that was really exciting. And it, but it immediately said to me, I cannot scale this recipe up. So you know, through my networking and my talking to people during my MBA, I. Um, got referred to a factory and so we decided to outsource it and it's you know we did look at the cost of setting up a factory which was huge uh, Mm. obviously and really high risk right and then I realized that this actually fitted really in well to our ethos of trying you know to to include and use local manufacturers people who know what they're doing um, people who are certified and that that factory is um, is still producing it for us now, and it's a scalable operation, which is exactly what I needed. I knew I didn't want to be a cottage uh, a cottage industry. I mm. wasn't. That ma- wasn't why I started making ginger alexa. It was the business concept. The you know what what we could do with this long term for economic development for community for social. So that's
1: pretty exciting you turn up in Fiji three years earlier (laughs) as a travel industry executive and by the time you were drawing to a close your three years there you'd pretty much launched the business
0: yes so we sort of um you know we we got to market it's it's a year a year ago today actually and because of the 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 restrictions or the limitations on resources there we found it very hard to get bottles or, or packaging in Fiji and so we decided to come out with it, with an MVP and the MVP was a two and a half liter pouch that the um, that the factory could already provide us with they had it there anyway so we just created some of our own labeling and um, and we we got that and it actually you know turning lemons into lemonade it actually became a really um, big part of our strategic Plan, which is um, which was to get into the resorts, so it allowed us to get into the resorts for them. To, and it's a very versatile product, so they can use it for cocktails or lattes or what have you. And so we we did that, and our because our bottles didn't actually turn up till this year, right? So it's given us two opportunities to sell. So we've got hosp- um, the hospitality side of things, and then the retail trade with our bottles. So, yeah. yeah.
1: You've been back in Sydney close to a year now, about, mm. around about a year. I mean, given your initial hesitancies to move to Fiji, how did you start to feel about coming back?
0: Well, interestingly, I started to have apprehension about moving home because things were ramping up and we, we'd literally um, had some great success stories of selling into resorts in, um, in Fiji and that was my side of things. You know, Sateria is um, very administrative. She's done the business setup, registration, that kind of thing. I'm more frontline. I like doing the sales and I would run around with um, sampling and get people to try it. I would, you know, present at, um, we would support a lot of charities up there with, with uh, welcome drinks and things like that. So we could get our name out there. So I started to feel really apprehensive the, about leaving but the contract was coming up 31 December and Andrew was ready to, to move so we um, we made the move back um, and I, it's I've just been absolutely delighted about what support there has been in Australia for small business um, related to the Pacific okay which is um, which has been quite a surprise for me so um, I knew that I could make it work. I go to back to Fiji once a month, which is – I I remember saying to myself um, while I was living there, I really – I have feel a strong t- connection to this country, to the people and the, the country itself, and I wanted to keep a p- piece of Fiji in my pocket, and I didn't really know what that meant, and I really feel like I've achieved that mm. by starting this business. And, look, we're still very much in early stages, but um, – you know, being able to go back once a month and keep developing the business idea um, and keep developing our partnerships over in Fiji. And um, whilst being here and and going back and forth, we we were really delighted to get our bottles delivered in February and by April we were actually on the shelves in duty-free in Fiji, which was really exciting for us. Mm.
1: So clearly the business is a success so far and you're hoping to take it further. But I guess just on a personal level, was coming back here, did you experience some kind of reverse culture shock?
0: Yeah, look, um, there was, it's actually been a very positive move back. I, as I say, I had the apprehension. I knew I was going to miss my Fiji friends, my Fiji community, and I do, but I've realized that Sydney also has. A small village um, mentality as well and in, in, I'm in the inner west and I have a great community experience there the children have made a really good transition to their school um, now remembering that they were one and three when we went up there they they felt that they were Kaiviti they were Fijian um, they spoke um, Hindu and Fijian at school so they were you know becoming three languages and um But within months, they're they're little Aussies. And I think that just shows the resilience and, you know, that children have. Mm. Um, And it's probably, you know, the toughest transition was probably me and the family. Andrew came back, started a new role with a different airline. um, And he's loved that. Um, And I I guess it's, I I guess it is just Andrew and I. We just, you've got to be happy where you are. Yeah, And I think, um, you know, looking at the positives of where you are and, you know, Fiji
1: has its challenges, Sydney has its challenges too. So I guess looking back with a, a year under your belt in Sydney, I mean, looking back at your time in Fiji, what, what do you think was the best part? Hmm.
0: I would say the overall experience that um and also that sort of never say never I've I've said never before I remember saying I would never move to Christchurch again <laughs> and I did and I loved it and I met my husband mm. um and then you know we we said we would never move to Fiji and there we go so uh, it's 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 okay to prove yourself wrong
1: <laughs> yeah indeed <laughs>
0: Um, and um but yeah just a wonderful experience for the kids um I think it was I think it was eye-opening for all for all of us and like I say that that first year after Cyclone Winston we tried to get in and help as much as we could we raised money and we, we were able to build a couple of new houses in a village there which was mm-hmm. really exciting and that was from our the support from our friends and family in Australia and New Zealand um But just getting exposing the children to that as well. I can remember um, taking the kids to the village after the after Cyclone Winston. Sorry, where when we first moved there, and it was actually our our nanny's um, family, and it was quite a remote village. It was a four-hour drive to get in there mm. um, and the roads weren't great and that you know there was a lot of devastation on the way up there and I just some people thought I was crazy taking the children into that environment you know these houses had literally been picked up and thrown away mm. and um, and and already they're, they're basic villages anyway um, and uh, I took my dog and the two kids there, and they, everyone thought I was crazy. But you know what? It was a great experience for them to see that. It was quite humbling for the children, and we often refer back to that in times when I think they they need a little bit of a reminder of how <laughs> different people um, live in different places and and how they need
1: they can overcome that yeah. <laughs> their challenges here. Yeah, yeah. Um. And I guess what was the hardest part of being in Fiji was, I mean that that introduction in cyclo season must have been one obstacle, but was there a particular yeah. thing that you, you know, struggled with a bit? Yeah, and you sort
0: of, you know, you hear that anecdote of, of people saying, oh, you know, first world problems. Mm. You absolutely, um, you really live and breathe that when you get over in a, in a place like that. You know, we do, you you know, and, and obviously we lived quite well there and you see the difference between how, how the ordinary Fijian lives in um, village life, and it's you know it it, it is wonderful, um, but we live we live very different lives, and there there is that gap there. Um, but it, you know I wouldn't change any of the experience that we had. It was incredible. Mm. Mm.
1: Is there anything you wish you'd known before you went that you might help someone else that might be thinking about a similar move? Um, oh look, you, you just you do have to be open minded. I think. Um,
0: I, I, and and try to assimilate, you know, learning the local language or getting out and, and really trying to be part of that community. Mm. And I I did often I still often get the feedback that when I when I'm talking my my very limited Fijian, but they, you know, people appreciate that that yeah. I've that I've made that effort and that I've um I think it just shows that I really loved and valued my time there and the people that I spent time with.
1: Yeah. Mm. And it's a relationship that sounds like it's going to continue for some time to Absolutely,
0: come. Absolutely, yeah. I I, um, I often say now that I'm a, I'm a Ki- Kiwi who resides in Sydney but left my heart in Fiji.
1: <laughs> well, look, thank you for talking to us today, Kelly. Your story is very inspiring and we wish you all the best with your business. Thank you very much, Jackie. That was Kelly Stanbury, co-founder and director of 300 Islands, which you can find at 300islands.com. And we'll include a link in the show notes. If you're enjoying these conversations, it would mean a lot if you could help spread the word. Tell a friend about us, share a link, or leave us a nice rating and review. And if you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Instagram at WhatSheDidNextPodcast. What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe. Thanks for listening.